Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, November 27th, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 19 of season 2 of the podcast and episode 46 overall. Happy holidays. Thanksgiving is now behind us here in the U.S., so I can officially start uh, wishing everyone happy holidays here. Now, hope you all had a uh, a peaceful and uh, pleasant and uh, restful and uh, uh, delicious <laughs> holiday spent with family and friends. Um, I ran my annual hometown turkey trot uh, Thanksgiving morning. Ran my fastest five k to date. So, uh, yeah, yay, yay for me! If uh, if you're a newsletter subscriber, you saw a photo of me at the finish line. Um, then I went over my uh, my wife's side of the family, uh, did dinner at her uncle's house, and then my parents hosted at my house for uh, for dinner. So, uh, good day overall. Saw some uh, friends I haven't seen in a little while. Um, so, so good times all around. Um, but despite the holiday, uh, I am still rolling along with National Novel Writing Month. In fact, I'm proud to announce that I am a... Uh, a champion <laughs> for the second year in a row. I broke 50,000 words a couple of days ago, which is the goal for National Novel Writing Month. So uh, so that's exciting. And uh, overall, uh, the first draft of Into the Dragon's Maw, which is part five of the Spoken Books Uprising, that's crossed the 70,000 word mark now, and I am uh, plowing onward toward the end. It's looking like that'll probably be about as long as uh, part four, Declaimers Stand. So, you know, right around the 100,000-word mark. So stay tuned for more info on that in uh, the coming weeks. Um, Only other personal news here is uh, the box set of uh, parts 1, 2, and 3 of the Spoken Books Uprising. The e-box set, I should say. It is not a physical box set at this time, just just e-books. But that is uh, out in the world now. Uh, you can uh, purchase it from you know all the normal ebook retailers, uh, or you can also pur- purchase it uh, directly from me, from my uh, from my PayHip store. PayHip is a uh, a website that you know kind of gives small businesses uh, the opportunity to sell direct to their customers rather than you know through a distributor like Amazon or Kobo or Barnes and Noble or something like that. Upside of that for me is uh, I get to keep more of the the royalties <laughs> at no extra cost to you. It just, you know, instead of paying Amazon their 30% take, at, you know, there's a small service fee. Um, so that allows me to offer the box set uh, at less cost to you if you buy directly from me. Uh, easiest way to find that link is just to go to dtkane.com slash books uh, or my homepage as well. We'll probably have a, a post to that, ddkane.com. Um in addition to the to the text of the three 
novels there. There's also two original essays that I wrote about my inspiration for the Spoken Books Uprising series, and there's also original artwork of Baz, Deliritus, and Rox, so uh, if any of that interests you, you can uh, go check that out. Uh, regular price of that's going to be five ninety nine, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be on sale for, for a dollar or two cheaper than that uh, directly um, from me. So uh, that's that, and this week we're doing uh, an, an analysis episode of chapters 15 through 21. We'll be back with uh, narrating Declaimer's Discovery next week. So why don't we dive right in here to, to chapter 15. So this is um, <clears throat> the chapter following the duel that Deliritus and Baz had with Farston in his speaker where Baz was kind of, uh, not kind of, where he was knocked out at the end of chapter 14. Um, so we switch perspective back to Deliritus for the second time uh, in this book, and uh, we see Deliritus almost get killed by a, a cityless raider with a giant uh, hammer, right? But Rox, of course, comes to comes to the rescue and puts a quick end to that. Uh, and then Deliritus realizes that Baz is nowhere to be seen, and he has, in fact, been captured. Um... You know, in, interesting here, we do see, you know, as uh, as little as Deliritus and Baz get along sometimes, uh, we do see, you know, deep down, Deliritus does kind of care about Baz here. He even stands up to Farston saying, you know, we have to go help Baz. You know, he's being uh, driven away on this boat into the uh, into the lake that they're on the shore of. Um, you know, but uh, Deliritus does not, uh, with <laughs> Deliritus does not withstand Farston for long here, though, right? You know, we kind of see how brutal he is. He's playing with this this other cityless who attacked him. He, you know, he seems to be purposely drawing out the fight. He keeps cutting him, but not mortally. And then finally, he just, uh, he pulls out a knife and, uh, you know, and, and guts, guts him. So, uh, you know, not, not a nice, not a nice man here, though. I don't think that comes as a shock to, uh, to anyone here. There's clearly, uh, clearly a dark side to Duke Farston here. Uh, and then we, we learn a lot of information here in Chapter 15 in kind of a relatively short period of time. Um, first, Farston knows that Octavenal told Deliritus to oppose him at the Congress. Um, so Farston is certainly well-informed here, and that uh, is bursting uh, bursting Deliritus' bubble here. Remember, his father had told him to, you know, kind of be a pain for Farston to make him look bad at the Congress, because... Uh, Duke Octavenal has his sights on taking over the chairmanship of the Triumvirate Congress when the next election cycle comes around, but looks like Octavenal is uh, is on to that ploy here. Uh, interesting, though, that uh, Farston does note that Octavenal is a thorn in his side, so, uh, you know, despite this uh, the apparent power that Farston has, uh, he does view Deliritus' father as a threat, uh, and that's not elaborated on, but, uh, you have to think of a man like Farston thinks Octavenal is a threat. That uh, that drives home just how uh, dangerous a man Duke Octavenal is in his own right as well. Um, and then the last thing here, uh, you know, Farston notes, you know, the only reason he accepted Deliritus as erstwhile's representative was because he wanted Baz, and now Baz is, Baz is gone, so Deliritus better tread carefully here. You know, what? But what is it about Baz that uh, Farston is so interested in, and why does why was he acting back in chapter fourteen like he knew or he knows who Baz is, like you know prior from this this uh, this meeting that occurred here uh, in part two? Lots of unanswered 
questions here about Farston <clears throat> thus far. Um, but chapter 15 ends with, you know, Deliritus, however unhappily, accepting that, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to get Baz back. <clears throat> so we move on to chapter 16, and we return back to Baz's perspective. Uh, him and Liana are on a boat. It's uh, actually a steam boat. You may have uh, recognized some of the uh, description of the propulsion system that the boat uses, and it's, uh, you know, loosely describing how a steamboat works. They're up against a box that's, uh, you know, admitting steam, so there's a fire going on in there, and that steam produced by the fire, uh, you know, runs the, the engine, or I'm not, I don't know if engine is the right word for a steamboat, but uh, you get the uh, you get the idea. Uh, I'm not going to explain to you all the uh, detailed mechanics of a, <laughs> of a steam engine. You can, uh, you know, certainly go look that up on Wikipedia if that interests you. Um, so we meet Boost and Marst, two uh, new characters here. You know, they seem, you know, slightly incompetent, right? Uh, you know, Marst is a big, big, fat young man. You know, Baz is not very, uh, you know, uh, flattering in his description of Marst. He is, his pudge has pudge, I think Baz says. And uh, interesting, though, Marst also, also only has uh, one, one arm. So, uh, you know, we've heard of some... Uh, you know, some terrible injuries that can go on in some of these uh, factories we saw back in um, erstwhile where the ink is made, and now we're going to a paper mill, so, uh, you know, the paper mill is what's in, on this island out in the center of Fable, or out in the center of uh, of the shallows, which is the lake, uh, and then the island in the center of that lake is Fable, and there's a paper mill there, so maybe uh, maybe he sustained that injury at that mill. Um so that's Marst, and then the other character here is Boost. He's the one with the shaved head and kind of the the green, the green mohawk is his only, his only hair. He kind of seems to be the the leader of the two. Marst is very, uh, you know, skittish and saying things when he when he shouldn't be. Boost at least has a knife and is, you know, threatening Baz and Liana. You know, Baz doesn't seem to feel overly threatened by them, but at the same time he realizes he probably can't drive this boat that they're on, or uh, you know. You know, if Boost does actually know how to use that knife, Baz is probably not going to beat him in a uh, direct physical confrontation. So him and Liana kind of accept that they're going to have to see what happens, uh, you know, once the boat boat uh, stops at its uh, destination. Uh, we do see Baz, he nearly lets a slip in front of Liana that he knows what Seekers are. You know, remember, that's information he gleaned at Undertome, so he can't, uh, can't be revealing that to Liana or else... Uh, you know, he'd be revealing a lot, <laughs> he'd have a lot of explaining to do, uh, as we're going to see, he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to Liana anyway, but, uh, you know, hold, hold that thought. For now, we do get a nice little moment here where him and Liana are, are holding hands while Baz falls uh, asleep, certainly, uh, you know, I don't think they directly address it, but, you know, they have been, they have been captured, and it's uncertain where they're being taken, so there is some fear underlying this scene here, and they take some some comfort in each other. We've certainly been hinting at a, a, a deeper relationship between the two of them, and we're seeing that develop here a little more. Um, then the boat finally docks, and like I said, we go to the, the paper mill at Fable. A couple of guards come and escort uh, Baz and Liana into the, into the mill, and, you know, uh, we see at a very high level, you know, there's these big vats when they enter. That's uh, kind of the first stage of uh, of making paper here, you know, you take uh, you take wood pulp, which is you know, you know, wood chips, 
basically you throw wood chips into a pressure cooker with uh, chemicals added, uh, you know, and those chemicals dissolve uh, the cellulose fibers that hold the wood together. Uh, those fibers are called lignin. Um, you know, and that that's you know that resulting pulp is kind of the main ingredient of paper. Um, you know, and once you add those chemicals and then the steam and the pressure cooker, that like I said, causes the lignin to dissolve, so you can form it into sheets. Um, and then you wash that resulting solution with bleach to purify the remaining lignin. So again, that's why uh, paper mills, or at least one of the reasons why paper mills are deemed very undesirable to be anywhere near where people actually live. You know, that, that whole bleaching and chemical process is, is not good to be around, and that's why, uh, you know, Baz and uh, Liana get a, uh, a surprise when they inhale deeply in there, right? There's a bunch of chemicals in the air. Um, and then once you've done that, you know, you use a screen to get, it, uh, get the residual water uh, out of the, uh, the treated wood pulp, and then you press it and dry it, and that's, you know, very high level how you make paper, and we see kind of those steps of the process going on uh, as they enter the mill. <clears throat> and then, of course, the surprise at the end of the chapter, Emma shows up. Well, you'll recall Emma was uh, the Madame Scrivener Tessa's daughter from uh, from book one, um, you know, the one who uh, originally captured Baz and brought him <clears throat> to Undertome. So she is here. Uh, posing as the mill master of fable, moving right into chapter 17 here. Um, you know, so she, she she appears to be running the show here, which is interesting because the paper mill is supposed to be something that's controlled by the conservators, right? You know, we, we've seen a few offhand references to the pilgrimages that conservators take out to uh, the mill at fable. You know, this used to be where all the paper for spoken books was made, so it was a kind of a big deal. You know, there's that whole that whole town at uh, at Paper Ferry that uh, that kind of was built up around the paper trade, and then we saw a few chapters back how that town has fallen into ruin since. You know, they still need paper for regular writing, but no one is making new spoken books anymore. So the the paper market has crashed here in <laughs> in in oration. But uh, it's interesting that uh, that Cityless has seemed to be running the mill. Uh, even though the conservators uh, are under the impression that they control the mill. You know, we basically learn that uh, Tessa, uh, again, Emma's mother, the, the leader, the leader of the folks over at Undertome, the keepers at Undertome, seems she has infiltrated the mill, and basically everyone who works there is now a member of her uh, organization of, of keepers. Um, so uh, that's interesting, kind of hiding out in plain sight here. <coughs> Um, you know, of course, Emma and Liana are immediately butting heads here. I would say Emma is probably only marginally successful in her, her cover as the mill master. Um, you know, she does, she explains why, uh, her people attacked Baz and Liana by saying they thought Baz and Liana were cityless. Um, and, uh, they were trying to protect the mill, you know, which is sort of plausible, right? Because Emma says, well, we saw all these spells, uh, <laughs> that were being thrown around on the shore, and you know there are all these rumors of the the cityless cusses who can uh, who can uh, you know cast spells. So you know Liana seems to at least partially accept that. Um, for now, though, she certainly doesn't like Emma's attitude toward her. 
Um, she gets more upset as well when, you know, she learns that there are no horses at Fable that, uh, you know, Emma can lend them to, you know, get them back on track to get to fortune. Quickly, you know, Liana gets a little lip here from Emma. He's basically like, well, you know, the, the conservatory has never decided that we needed any horses, uh, Madam Conservator. Um, so again, just uh, the butting of heads here between the two ladies and Baz is kind of uh, just trying <laughs> just trying to stay out of it because every time he tries to talk, he gets dirty looks from one or both of them. So he's certainly caught in the middle here. <clears throat> um, and then we get a... Uh, we transition to kind of the second part of Chapter 17. Liana goes off to get her injury. She got punched in the face by Boost on the boat. Um, so she gets she goes off for a few minutes to have that attended to. So Emma and Baz get to talk privately. Uh, we learn that Emma has essentially run away from home. Uh, she left Tome shortly after Baz departed there because she wants to go look for the Declaimer's Transcendence as well, just like Baz. Uh, recall that she was upset when uh, her mother gave Baz that quest to go find the Declaimer's Transcendence because uh, it's kind of her family, uh, you know, her family rite of passage or, uh, you know, it's been passed down through the generations that her family is the one who's supposed to be looking for the Declaimer's Transcendence because it was originally her ancestor who saved uh, saved that small uh, fragment that they currently have of the Transcendence, you know, the last line. Uh, he'll speak the words to set us free. <clears throat> um, so, and when Liana found out that her mother actually knew where the transcendence is and told Baz, but not her, she was upset about that. So she is going off on her own now. You know, she, you know, she, she seems to have told everyone else here at Fable that she is a seeker of transcendence, which is, remember, that special rank that's bestowed on the people who leave home to go look for the Declaimer's Transcendence. And in fact, that is the rank that Baz has actually been given by Tessa, but Emma does not officially have that rank, but she's told everyone, and they know she is the daughter of the, uh, you know, the rebel leader, so they kind of made her the de facto leader here at the mill, it seems like. Um, you know, her plan had been to capture a reader and use uh, the reader to get her into Liamina library. You know, she apparently had an influencer and was thinking of uh, capturing the reader and influencing him into getting her into the library to go search for the transcendence. Um, and of course, she told Boost and Marst, we learned to, you know, attack the one with the hat, right? So they attacked Baz. But of course, it turns out that, uh, you know, the one wearing the hat here was uh, not a reader. It was Baz instead. So they captured him. Um... Let's see. So, Liana or Emma's plan here has kind of been foiled <laughs> unwittingly. What are the chances that you'd be walking by in your hat, Baz, when I told them that? You know, kind of a bit of a comical scene there, um, where more Mars just like you told us to get the one with the hat. Um, you know, and then we do see this is gonna. This is obviously going to be a problem here as we move on, right? But Liana is an issue because she is a conservator who is actually, you know, they are an enemy. They're right up there with the readers as an enemy of uh, of the cityless slash the keepers. You know, the rebels under Tome. Uh, so originally Emma is thinking that they're just gonna have to kill Liana, but Baz convinces Emma not to harm her. Uh, you know, Baz and Liana are you know at least friends, if not more. But, you know, Baz does make the good point that, well, if Liana disappears, um, you know, it's certainly going to get back to the conservatory that there was a cityless attack on the shores of Fable and someone's going to come poking around here. But, uh, you know, if uh, 
you know, Liana goes free, you know, then the worst that's really going to happen is she's going to complain about the incompetence of the, uh, the supposed leaders here at the paper mill. Uh, so that seems to at least convince Liana, at least, or convince Emma, at least uh, temporarily, though she does say that uh, she's going to have to clear that plan with Maeve. Uh, we don't know who Maeve is at this point, but she seems to be some someone who is above Emma in the chain of command here. We'll meet Maeve in a, a few chapters here rather rather shortly. Uh, interesting, Emma also seems to be bothered that Baz gets along with Liana. Now, is that just because conservators are supposed to be the enemy? Uh, or is there some other some other reason here? Maybe there's a little jealousy here. Uh, on the part of of Emma, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Is Baz getting entangled in a a love triangle here, perhaps? Uh, and then we get the references to down below. So uh, Emma did reveal that even though they do not have horses, she does have an idea for how she can get them to fortune uh, with plenty of time to spare for the beginning of the triumvirate congress, and that is down below. Liana does not seem to want Baz to go down there, but uh, they seem to have little choice because uh, they have to get to the Congress somehow. So uh, we move on to Chapter 18. Liana rejoins our group here, and we start to see her suspicions rising. You know, uh, she's certainly suspicious of Emma here. I don't like how she looks at you, Baz. Like, she knows something about you that she doesn't want anyone else to know. Well, that's certainly true, right? Uh, you know, Liana is not an idiot here. Uh, she can see how Emma is treating Baz. Uh, and Emma does, in fact, know that Baz uh, is an orator, or uh, a cuss is what Liana would call him. He can speak and read. Um, you know, she also notices that uh, Liana calls him Baz, and she points out that no one, you know, no one calls you Baz, right? So, uh you know, and then Emma rejoins them again, and they can't really hash it out any further at that point. But, uh, you know, this is going to be an issue, obviously. So, uh, but carrying on here for now, uh, Liana brings, or Emma brings them to an elevator, you know, a lift, but that's what it is, an elevator, right, to bring them down below whatever the hell is down there. We'll see in a minute. First, Baz, uh, Baz is about to get on the elevator, right, and then he kind of sees Marst still being all submissive over in the corner, and he, uh, you know, kind of yells at him and tells him, you know, look, you're probably the biggest person wherever you are, right? You know, you know, have a little, have a little confidence, you know, or pretend to be confident until you are, um, you know. And this actually seems to to give uh, Marst a bit of a bit of motivation, you know. Maybe this is the the fire he needed lit under his ass, someone just to show a little confidence um, in him or tell him that it's possible for him to to be confident or at least pretend to be confident and that maybe that'll make you feel better. Um, it also seems that, uh, Emma has been spreading rumors about Baz being a dragon rider. You know, Marst, uh, it's like, oh, well, after Baz tells him to pretend to be confident, he's like, oh, is that how you, uh, is that how you managed to fly a dragon? You know, um, and of course, uh, you know, Baz is worried that Liana is going to have heard that comment, but, uh, Thankfully, she was already in the elevator and didn't hear it. But uh, again, so we kind of saw Tax earlier kind of creating this cult of personality around Baz with the, with the snakes, the rebels, back in erstwhile. And now it seems Emma has kind of been building up Baz as well. Uh, you know, after she sees the effect Baz has on Marst, you know, he actually, you know, he never really thought of, uh, you know, 
ever having a chance to ride on a dragon, but after after the famous dragon rider Baz tells him he can, you know, Marst seems to maybe uh you know, be turning a turning a corner here and you know, I, Emma mutters, you know, maybe mother was right. So it seems uh you know, uh Tessa, the leader of the rebels, has ideas of what Baz can uh, what Baz can be here. So uh you know, wheels are turning, you know, Baz is part of schemes that, uh, you know, he may not even be privy to, uh, at this point, you know, there's this, this larger movement going on that Baz has really only touched the surface of here so far. Um, but finally, uh, Liana, Emma, and Baz get into the elevator to go down below, and as the elevator begins to lower, uh, Baz begins to hear voices in his head, and then we transition right into chapter 19. Baz realizes that he's the only one who can hear uh, these voices, um, you know, and he is very alarmed, but he kind of just plays it off when he realizes that Liana and Emma can't hear them because he doesn't want them to think that he's uh, crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll recall that Baz has heard voices in his head before, right? You know, when he was casting shadow spells and... Uh, when he went out on the uh, platform and faced the Dark Ones at the end of uh, Part 1. So, you know, what is it about going down below that uh, that is triggering him to hear these voices again? We don't, uh, we don't quite know yet, but uh, let's keep going, and we will uh, slowly, slowly see. Um, you know, we find out why Liana doesn't want Baz to go down below, because there is a Shadow Ink factory down there, and, you know, remember... Uh, remember how the conservators guard the secrets of how to make elemental ink? That's kind of like their one, the one thing that they hold over the the readers' heads. Um, you know, the readers need the ink to restore their spoken books when they lose their power, and only the conservators know how to make it. So, uh, you know, Liana doesn't really want Baz seeing the inside of a factory. You know, she this is skipping ahead uh, a little. But, uh, you know, she lets slip that, uh, in Chapter 20, she lets slip that uh, the, the people who are recruited to work in ink factories are not ever uh, permitted to leave in order to protect the secrets of, uh, of making ink. So, you know, that's kind of shocking to Baz, right? Basically, the conservatives are, uh, you know, using slave labor, right? And, you know, it's at least uh, uh, heavily implied that they are killing these factory workers uh, rather than ever let them leave with potential secrets of how to make the ink. Um, you know, we do notice that the voices get louder in Baz's head when he looks at some of these vats, which, as we've learned, are full of shadow ink. So uh, there seems to be some association with being close to shadow ink that causes the voices to ramp up inside of, of Baz's head here. <coughs> um, so, again, you know, the Dark Ones seem to be connected with shadow somehow and since Baz has been exposed to them whenever he gets close to shadow or at least shadow ink uh, he starts to hear them more so uh, you can bet that this is probably going to be a problem for Baz as we move on uh, in the story here uh, let's see what else is there to touch on here oh how do we actually make shadow ink so we uh, distill the <coughs> we distill the scales of shadow breathers so shadow breathers are the shadow variant of dragons so you know obviously a fire breather is a fire breather fire breathing dragon and uh, a shadow breather is a well a shadow breathing dragon uh you know maybe we can't envision that here um at this point but uh 
you know, we have a... Baz gives us a pretty good description of them at, uh, at some point. Let me see. I think I have that written down here close close at hand that we can just read for you real quick. Yeah, here he is. You know, they are creatures of the elsewhere. Yeah, they are as much poisonous mist as tangible beast living in the world's dark places. So, uh, you know, kind of some sort of ethereal creature maybe, but, uh, you know, we see Liana's reaction. <laughs> we can't go down that tunnel, right? And Emma's like, well, actually, that was how I was planning to get you to fortune so quickly. Uh, that's how chapter uh, 19 ends. <laughs> We're going to walk right into the lair of the Shadow Breathers. Um, just a quick aside, um, kind of the, the method of making ink that I sketched out quickly in chapter 19 with all the vats and machines is, you know, loosely modeled after how sugarcane is refined. You'll recall that uh, the Haitian slave revolution was a big influence on uh, some of the storylines I have in the Spoken Books Uprising. I've spoken about that on the podcast before, and sugarcane was one of the the main crops that uh, slave labor was used to uh, to farm and process uh, in Haiti in the uh, the 18th century. Um, so you know you had to boil uh, sugarcane and kind of create a, a syrup out of it before you can refine it into table sugar. So you got all these large, you know, boiling vats and then the vats with the, uh, you know, the points on the bottom, you know, you filter those to get the, to separate the solids from, from the liquids. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to be scientific, uh, about anything here, but, uh, just some of the stuff that I described in chapter 19 in the ink factory is, uh, is modeled after, uh, the sugar cane. Uh, refining, and I guess I'll just say too, we did see earlier. Marsh only had the the one arm, and that was a very uh, common thing that happened with slaves um, in Haiti. There's lots of heavy machinery and grinders, and you know, heavy things that could fall on slaves, or you know, their clothes could get get caught in the gear, and uh, you know, limbs would uh, would be mangled. So, uh, you know, Marsh having one arm is kind of a a reference uh, a reference to that as well. Kind of the the bad conditions that, uh, you know, these laborers are subjected to. <clears throat> um, right, so moving on to chapter 20 here, um, we finally meet Maeve, who is a midwife, which uh, seems an odd title for her because she also seems to be kind of like the leader here, right? You know, Emma is supposed to be the mill master, but she clearly answers to Maeve. She's an older woman, uh, though despite appearing old, Baz notes at least, you know, or I think multiple times that, you know, she doesn't move like an old lady, right? Or, you know, despite her wrinkly appearance, she doesn't actually look particularly old either. So she's got kind of a contradictory um, appearance here. You know, we do learn that, you know, she had given, or she at least had uh, told Emma that Emma was responsible for making a plan to uh, find the Declaimer's Transcendence, or at least making a plan. She doesn't explicitly say it was related to the Declaimer's Transcendence, but uh, you can kind of imply that, and Maeve is savvy enough to know that she can't talk about the Declaimer's Transcendence in front of a conservator like Liana. Um, but of course it turns out, you know, that Maeve seems to have her, her own plan here, and it doesn't really matter that Emma's plan did not work out. Emma, of course, is a little... Uh, 
taken aback by that, but Maeve quickly silences her. She is clearly a no-nonsense kind of person here. You know, she is not uh, hesitant to uh, show that she's not overly impressed with Baz, and then she goes so far as to ask Emma if she's not... She's sure she doesn't want to throw Leon into an ink vat before they uh, before they leave for fortune. You know, she clearly doesn't want to deal with a conservator uh, interfering with their plans here. But but for now, Liana is staying with us. Um, you know, and Maeve, let's drop it. Well, she is planning to reach fortune by uh, the next evening because she has an appointment uh, there with, uh, with a uh, high-ranking official. You know, she has to do her midwifery. Um, which is interesting because uh, Fable is supposed to be more than a week's ride away from Fortune. So what is this conveyance that's going to get them to Fortune so quickly? Um, we're about to find out. Just a couple other quick notes. You know, we start to see why maybe it's uh, you know useful to have a midwife on your side here. Maeve apparently is a pretty uh, well-known one in Fortune. She has access to many of the libraries, including Liamina Library. So uh, the implication here is certainly that she can uh, get into libraries where, uh, you know, many other, you know, most illits and speakers are not going to have free access to, uh, to the libraries uh, of, uh, of the City of Fortune, but Maeve does by virtue of her position as a midwife. So uh, certainly that's going to be interesting. She also has these mysterious knots tied into her belt. Um, we don't know what those signify at this point, but just keep those in mind. Uh, finally, we learn uh, what it is that's going to get them to Fortune so quickly. It is called an Iron Dragon. And let me uh, just read the description here of it to you. Um, let's see. Here we go. Page 174 of the print copy of Declaimer's Discovery. About a dozen feet below the platform's edge was what looked like a road with wagon ruts in it, except the ruts appeared to be steel beams with boards laid across them. This road headed off into a narrow tunnel that was quickly consumed by darkness. <clears throat> However, far more interesting than the strange road was what sat atop it directly in front of the platform. It vaguely resembled an enormous wagon, though the only thing that really caused Baz to think of a wagon was that it had wheels, and Baz had never seen anything other than a cart or a wagon with wheels. It more closely resembled the body of a dragon, or perhaps a worm was a more apt description, as it didn't have any limbs. It was made all of jet-black iron, and an orange glow emanated from within it, just like a dragon's flame. Steam rose from a chimney located about where the dragon's snout would have started. That snout ended in a narrow tip like an axe's edge, as if whoever had constructed this bizarre vehicle expected it to encounter enemies in its path and cleave them in two. Um, so I hope you get from that description that this is a train. <laughs> um, you know, that was a uh, an interesting... An interesting passage to write, you know, kind of describing uh, a train without actually calling it a train, because, you know, Baz obviously does not know what a train is, so can just use that word. Um, so I uh, hope you found that interesting. But yes, there is a train down here, so that's how they're going to get through this tunnel with the Shadow Breathers. They're going to be inside a train. 
Um, and of course, we learned that this train was built by the Enigma himself at Halifax Erstwhile's request because he wanted a quicker way to get between Erstwhile and Fortune City. Uh, you know, Emma says there appeared to be plans to build some above ground too, but uh, apparently the scribes could simply transport themselves from place to place at will, so building iron dragons above ground never became a priority. So we hop aboard the Oration Express here in chapter 21. The train is off through the tunnels uh, to Fortune. Uh, you know, quickly we get a look inside the cab of the t of the Iron Dragon or the train where the, you know, where the furnace is and the coal. You know, Emma's already in there sweating away and Baz is kind of staring at her and Emma seems to be inviting those stares a little, right? And, you know, Baz uh, quickly looks away and, but he's very confused because, you know, usually women are upset when you're caught staring at them, right? But Emma did not seem to be. So, you know, again, Emma seems to have some sort of interest in, in Baz here. Just uh, like Liana seems to have an interest in Baz as well. So Baz just getting himself into all sorts of trouble here. Um, so him and Liana go into the uh, the next car, which is kind of like the passenger car. There are uh, you know kind of cabins where you can just hang out in, in chairs and beds. Um, Baz doesn't really want to hang out with Liana, though, because she seems to want to interrogate him about Emma. So instead he goes into the the rear of the train, kind of the cargo car here, and he notices some new spoken books you know that's a that's a thing right um you know you're not supposed to be able to make new spoken books but uh you know we learned in part one that the uh the rebels down in undertome do know how to write new books so uh these seem to be some new newly created volumes uh courtesy of the rebels there at tome um you know bass takes one of them off the shelf which turns out to be a a book of a book of shadow um you know and i think this is you know a little interesting you know just you know obviously i have not written uh new languages here i just kind of describe the words of the or the languages of the trinity but uh you know just this emphasis here you know the 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 languages of the spoken books don't really have grammar in the traditional sense they kind of just evoke the words evoke feelings or ideas so you kind of have to loosely interpret them so you know, the title of this book is something like Return to Emptiness or Leaving All Behind. You know, Baz is roughly translating here. Um, he flips open the book and stumbles through it, and it seems to temporarily take over his mind, right? Like, he, he like, can't control himself from continuing to look through it. And, uh, you know, the train, like, suddenly jerks and makes him drop the book. And Baz is like, geez, if that hadn't happened, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it felt like the book was trying to, like, steal my soul or something, so... Certainly some foreboding going on here around that book. Bass just leaves it lying on the floor. He doesn't even want to touch it anymore. So again, you know, there's something going on with the element of shadow here. Bass has had bad experiences with it in the past, and now it seems whenever he is close to it, he hears these voices in his head. So certainly setting something up here. And, you know, I'm setting up all these bad things about the element of shadow, right? And we're heading into a tunnel where shadow dragons apparently live. So, uh you know, keep that in mind. Obviously, this is all going somewhere. Um, so Baz uh, kind of runs away from that shadow book and the uh, the cargo part of the train. And, you know, finally him and Liana have their, their confrontation. And Liana comes right out and says, you know, she doesn't believe Baz when he says he doesn't know who Emma is. You know, she reiterates, you know, she saw how Emma reacted upon seeing him. You know, she willingly returned his hat, right? 
uh, even though she, you know, she can obviously tell that Baz is a speaker, she should know that Baz shouldn't be wearing a hat. Um, and the big one here is you let her call you Baz. You know, remember we saw in the private conversation between Emma <clears throat> and Baz that, you know, Baz is kind of tricked into letting her call him Baz, right? But, uh, you know, Liana doesn't know that, and she's kind of offended, right? Because, you know, they're supposed to be friends, Liana and Baz are, but he doesn't let her call him Baz, you know? You know, you, you only let people you're intimate with call you Baz, and I thought I was intimate with you. Um, you know, they so they get into this, they kind of get into this fight here. She ends up slapping him, and, uh, you know, she tries to slap him again, and Baz, you know, grabs her hand, and they look into each other's eyes, and then they kiss. You know, maybe finally, uh, maybe some of you have been waiting for this. There's certainly been some tension building between them. Um, and it seems like they're just about to finally come to terms with how they truly feel about one another, and then the car shakes, and there is a roar from outside, and, you know, they are thrown to the floor, um, you know, and apparently there is something dangerous outside. The train has stopped. Again, like I said, there's some creature roaring out there, and that's where chapter 21 ends, and uh, that brings us up to date on uh, the reading here. So, um, hope you enjoyed that discussion and getting you know, a refresher on where we're at and some of my insight into the past six chapters we've read. Let's see, what are our assignments going to be for next week? Just thumbing through my print copy here. We'll certainly read chapter 22. How many pages is that? About eight pages. And then chapter 23... Yeah, we'll read chapters 22 and 23 of Declaimer's Discovery uh, next week. We'll find out uh, just what it is outside the train that has caused it to stop. Um, you know, and then some of Baz's secrets are going to finally come back and, and bite him uh, in one way or another. So tune in next week for that. Um, let's see. I don't have a fantasy quote uh, this week, you know, it was Thanksgiving, and I was keeping up on my uh, my nano rimo writing, so the the quote kind of fell by the wayside here this week. But uh, we'll be back with regularly scheduled programming next week with our fantasy quote of the week. Uh, regular edition of the newsletter will go out next Friday, um, and like I said, we'll be reading chapters twenty two and twenty three on next week's episode. Um, and remember, if you're interested, you can. Uh, Pick up a copy of the uh, the parts one, two, and three box set of the Spoken Books Uprising. That'll uh, I'll leave links in the show notes for that. But uh, you know, head over to dtkane.com/books and all the links will be there. And consider buying it from me directly. Uh, you know, that's no extra cost to you. In fact, it saves you money, but uh, it actually makes me more money because I get to keep more royalties. So uh, if you want to kind of give me a little extra support at uh, you know no extra cost to you, consider that. Remember, there's uh, bonus essays and character artwork in the box set, so uh, you know maybe even worth picking up if you've read one or more of the books in their entirety already. Uh, okay, so that is it for this week's episode. We'll read chapters 22 and 23 of Declaimer's Discovery next week. Uh, so until then, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author, or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com. See you next week.